Hey, 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 my Frankly Ferguson friends. Today is a good day to have a good day and to be inspired. And it's actually a day where I flip the script. Incredibly inspiring father. Jeff Walsh is a man on a journey of self-awareness who has been through many trials. He is a father, an ordained minister, and someone who was a top-level sales consultant for Fortune 500 companies covering the entire West Coast. What? So through ups and downs throughout his life, and then a heart-wrenching divorce and child custody battle, Jeff fell into a deep depression, which led him to IV drug addiction and 29 months in federal prison. Now, five years later, he is here to share his journey to inspire others and bring hope to those who need to hear his message. So welcome, welcome, Jeff. Wow. Wow. Thank you. I almost feel kind of famous. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, you uh, are. Yeah, right. Infamous. Infamous. (laughs) Um, That is so true. Thank you so much for for having me. Um, And I wanted to say thank you for making another dream um, manifest in my life. This is um, part of my heart. And, and dream is to share my story with people. Um, and you are the first that I'm officially dealing one with on a podcast. So thank you for uh, being a part of that. Absolutely. I'm so excited to have you on. It's, I think that your story is very unique and is something that a lot of people um, need to hear. So let's dive into it. So from a Fortune 500 you know, business salesman, whatever to IV drug use. It's a dream, a mission, a vision, a life most people yearn for, or, you know, at least they think they do. (laughs) So Jeff, how does that happen? How do you go from successful businessman, family, children to prison? Well, it's, um, it's a great question. It's a question that I've dealt with over the years, uh, quite intensely. As a matter of fact, I have a vivid memory of sitting in a cell block or in my cell in prison and, and asking myself that exact question, like this wasn't part of the dream. how did I get here? You know? And, yeah. and I think it, it ultimately comes down to the fact that it, it started way before it happened. Right. It, it was deal. Yeah. It was living life or really surviving through life <clears throat> and not really thriving, dealing with, mental health issues from the age of 18 um, through, you know, and when I really fell apart, I was about 33, 34. Um, but I had lived with undiagnosed uh, depression from 18 through my mid twenties. And then I was put on a lot of antidepressants in my mid twenties that kind of changed the biochemistry of my brain and, and just didn't understand a lot of it. And then when the, uh, you know, and then I went through a bad divorce and, and custody battle and everything kind of just, it was like an accumulation combustion, you know, it was, it was just, everything hit me. And I don't, I still, to this day, don't know how it all happened, but it did, but it did, you know, it was the perfect, it was, it was the perfect storm. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that, you know, I'm somebody who's a big believer in being a product of the environment you grow up in. Now, I actually personally know you and I know your family and they're lovely people, but we also grew up in a town where, and I hate to say this, but we were kind of like spoiled brats in a sense. You know what I mean? And I, I think that given the wrong 
direction or taking the wrong pathway can really lead you in a, in a different way. You know, I'm not saying that the town that we grew up in was bad. I think it's a great town, but I do think that there was an, it would have been easy for a lot of people to choose a wrong path. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, you know, and obviously growing up together, we, we could talk for hours on that, but um, I think for me, just overall, there was a lot of a lack of discipline in my life. And I think, and I think that was a part of growing up where I grew up as well. Um, take aside the parenting aspect. Um, I was never held to any consequences from actions, you know, as a all state football player, all American in track, you know, I was right. just kind of graduated through the high school, you know, yep. poor grades. And I don't think anyone really understood that at the age of 18, as a senior in high school, I was dealing with severe, like I didn't go to school first and second period, probably for over a hundred days. And they still passed me. No one ever, wanted, right. they just thought I was a bad kid. They didn't right. want to talk about the, the, the deeper issues. And, right. and that stems from finding out that your father, my father was a heroin addict. I found that out at 16, right. you know, and, and the destruction of that and what it created in my life. But yeah. yeah, it's, you know, it's, an, and that's what I was saying earlier. It's the accumulation of so many things. That's why a lot of people just say, how did you go to prison? Like, well, well, there's, there's a lot of deep things that go into that. Sure. Absolutely. You know? That kind of carved that, that path. So as a father, what was the scariest thing about being sent to prison? Whew. I mean, there's a lot of scary things about, yeah. about being sent to prison. You know, I, I have so many memories of, of complete fear. Mm-hmm. You know, when I walked into uh, San Diego County Jail for the first time in my life, you know, I had never been in trouble in my entire life. Here I am, 34 years old, you know, a corporate guy, a six-figure income, owned my own house, and now I'm walking into a, to a prison. Um, and the first thing I, when I walk through the doors, literally, I have a race of white people come up to me and say, who are you running with? Yeah. And I'm I'm like running with. What do you what do you mean? Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, are you running with the Latinos? Are you running with us? Are you a wood? A wood is like the common white boy. Um, <laughs> so so you know, you have to pick up so all these fears of this, but but with in regards to my children, the biggest thing was disappointment. You know, yeah. I had to every day kind of like you know, deal with that that self-condemnation, that hatred of of what I was doing to my children. And, um, you know, they were only four and six when it happened. So, you know, it's kind of hard to explain to them. You couldn't really, they just knew that daddy was in jail where the, the people that they dream of being one day, cause they both wanted to be cops when they're young, you know, put bad people. Right. And so I was one of those bad people that they wanted to, you know, emulate being a cop and, right. Um, and you can't really explain that to a four and six year old. So the disappointment of letting them down and being absent from their life was probably the hardest thing through that process. It's so heartbreaking as you're talking about it. I'm actually getting choked up <laughs> just thinking yeah. about it because I have a five and three year olds and I can't imagine, you know, maybe making a wrong choice because of whatever and being put in that position and not being able to see my kids and, and knowing that there's some type of a disappointment there and a confusion there. Like 
it's just so heartbreaking that, you know, you had to go through it. They had to go through it. Yeah. You know, as a parent, we, we are always okay with what we have to deal with with ourselves. Right. But when it comes to our children, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't want to get teared up either. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm like crying over here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking because it wasn't part of the plan, you know? Right. Um, it's funny because I was a football coach for Pop Warner football for three years as a head coach. I was, I was working in business and I was a head coach for a Pop Warner team in San Diego before my children were even born. I was giving to children. I was giving to the community. Right. And I had such dreams of, of doing that with my children. And here I was destroying that, not just for me, but for them. Right. And, and I couldn't take away that disappointment. I couldn't take away their confusion. I couldn't take away their, their emotional hurt or, you know, and luckily the kids are so resilient. I know it's incredible, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's absolutely incredible. But the biggest fear I think as well was that they, they would repress. My oldest son is so much like me mm-hmm. that I didn't want to see him repress his emotions. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's been part of the journey is, is really opening, making sure that he stays open because he's so much more older. He's gone through puberty and my younger guy is still kind of, kind of innocent still, you know, yeah. even being 11, he's, but, but that process is, has been a process, you know? Yeah. Very hard. So during your time in prison, what did you learn? And I'm asking this in like a spiritual self-awareness, redirect, direct my life kind of a way. Yeah, that, it's it's a uh, specific answer, sure, for that. So <clears throat> while I was in prison, <laughs> prison wasn't enough for me because I'm so hard-headed. Yeah. I got myself in trouble in prison. <laughs> um, you know, I, I wound up continuing to use drugs and, and gamble in prison um, in the beginning. And I wound up getting put in what they call the shoe or mm-hmm. or the special housing unit, which is isolation. So I was put in a cell for 40 days, which is pretty significant number. If you understand anything about the Bible and Jesus and all that. Um, But I was actually put in this, in this cell for 40 days. It's 10 by 10 shower in it, eat in it. You never leave it. You're stuck in the cell day in and day, day out, you know, and you don't really have an answer of when you're getting out. They just one day come and get you and say you're out. So you could be in there for six months. You could be, you don't know. Well, long story short, I went in there literally suicidal. Um, I I was like at my ends with, and I was now going to be detoxing because I was doing Suboxone in prison. Right. And Suboxone is an opiate form. So I was going to have to detox that and then deal with things that I hadn't been dealing with because I was continuing to use so I wouldn't have to face so many things, right? Um, and I went in there and it, it, was, it was just this moment where like the pain that I was causing everyone and myself had finally become greater yeah. than, than the, the need to like cover that up. And I began to, I, you could only get two books in there. And one of them was the Bible for me. And I began to go through a process through those 40 days of writing, crying, crying some more and crying some more. And the spirit within me, I had been a Christian since I was about 18, 19 years old um, for a long time. So I'd always had kind of this relationship with God, mm-hmm. but it was, it was built on believing that God was always mad at me. 
right? You know, that I wasn't ever good enough and that I couldn't like do anything right for God to approve of me. So it was really a bad image of love, mm. of, of what God, you know, was like and what he thought of me. And so I always kind of like turned my, my head from communion in prayer. I always kind of turned myself. I didn't want to face and really ultimately what prayer for me is now is it's a communion with self, with the inner self. And when you're avoiding being self-aware with your emotions and your thoughts, you're, you're, you're using all these things to, to basically stay away from the inner self, which is the Christ within, the God within us all. Yeah. You know, and so I was forced to do that for the first time in some time. And I wasn't on any antidepressants. I wasn't on any drugs. And there was this amazing communion with a spirit that I can't explain over those 40 days that taught me about grace, that taught me about love, that taught me about forgiveness. And it showed me that it wasn't a conditional thing. Like God, the God within me wasn't going to love me based on my actions or my behavior, but based on who I am. Right. And it wasn't, it was no longer about, I need to do this to get this. It was a revealing of, of unconditional love. You know, uh, it was a revealing of grace, of forgiveness and mercy for, for myself. Like I had to forgive myself. I had to love myself. And it changed the way I see everything. It changed the way I saw myself. It changed the, it changed the way I saw of God. It changed the way I see the world, um, it opened me up to, to having compassion for myself right. of, of understanding that like, just because I go out and I, you know, am perfect, if you will, morally, you know, like this perfect moral person doesn't, that's not what God wants. You know, it's like God had to show me that it's who I am already that is love. And so that was the beginning of really a reconditioning or a reprogramming of my thought life. And that's been the journey since. And it's never, I've never looked back. I've uh, evolved and, and grown in my own self-awareness, spiritually, emotionally, physically, in ways that I could have never thought I would. And, uh, and it was that, it was that moment that changed my life forever. No doubt. You know, that, that type of a hold uh in a cell like that that would truly truly break me um and i think it broke you for all the right reasons you know i think it i think it broke you to find you if that makes sense and you had touched on two different things but you touched on unconditional love and loving yourself and i experienced a lot of loss loss in my life uh in a short period of time and two of the people who passed away my mom and my dad they were people who gave me unconditional love so when they left this earth, it, it was a real struggle for me because not having people who love you unconditionally, which your parents 100% do, you could do anything and they still sure. love you. It, it's been very hard. And then also loving yourself. And the two really go hand in hand because unconditional love just doesn't come from other people. It has to come from you so loving good, yourself yeah. as well. And that's something that I struggle with. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. And I think it's, it, 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 is, it encompasses so much. It, it encompasses the way society sees and treats people and, and 
the way that you then put that on yourself and all of these different things. So, you know, that self-awareness and to find that I think is just such an incredible thing in life. And if you can, and you can capture that and you can capture that unconditional love for yourself first and foremost, I think you're going to be able to give that away to so many people. And that's a beautiful thing. So, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate Yeah. And, and I appreciate what you said about your parents. I, I'm so grateful for my parents too. I think, I, I think that their unconditional love for me was a deep inner saving grace that was able to show me what that looked like as well. And you're so right. The culture we live in, I think more people deal with self image and self acceptance than than really spoken about. I think that we live in a culture where, you know, it's about where you live, what's your car you drive, you know, what you look like, you know, and everyone's trying to project, you know, this image. Right. And I'm guilty of that. I am. We all are. We all are. (laughs) I am still to this day. I mean, I think at some level, I think that's part of being human, right? Right. Being seen. We want to be seen by people. That's, that's kind of confirming uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's, it's like, sometimes it can become, it can be like, you're dependent on everyone else to love yourself. You're dependent on what they think about you in order what, how you feel about you. Right. And as an addict and as a, as a prisoner, you know, a criminal, I had to really learn to shed what everyone else thought of me or, or what everyone else perceived of me to go within, to know who I was. Right. And, and that was the challenge and that was the reprogramming um, that was, that was so necessary. So how were you able to stay off of drugs following your time in prison? Cause I know that's a super hard thing to do. Yeah. It's um, you know, to be, to be honest, there, there was a couple times in the beginning when I got out and life was very difficult um, that, that I, that I relapsed, but it wasn't, but it wasn't a, uh, there was no more addiction. Like it was like a one day thing. It wasn't a continual thing. And it was just breaking old patterns of behavior. It was learning to, to cope differently. Um, but for the most part for years now, I've been, I've been doing well. And, um, and, and it's really just, you get to the point where I said earlier, it's like the pain of what you create by using those types of drugs has to become so unbearable that that's just not an option anymore. You know, it, it it has to, it has to just not be an option. And good advice actually. Yeah. Because, because we, we get so used to using the drug as a, as a, it's really kind of like an evil medicine, Right. Right. Because the pain is so unbearable that we use the drug because it's the only way we can cope. Like I used meth and, and heroin at times just so I could get out of bed. Like I couldn't function if I, if I didn't use it, it wasn't, I was using it to go to the part. I mean, obviously that's how it starts, Right. you know, but, but at, at some point it becomes such an addiction that it, it becomes a wicked medicine. Yeah. And, um, so, so yeah, it's really, it's really a simple, but so difficult uh, decision to say that that pain is just not worth, like, I'd rather deal with the pain within that I have been repressing and not dealing with mm-hmm. than create that chaos in my, not only my life, but everyone's life around me. Right. And, and I think that's 
that's yeah, very important. And I think that's like where I'm kind of going next is talking about your kids and your relationship with them. I mean, for the past five years, it seems that your main goal has really been to get back to them and to start being their father again. And you recently moved back to California and reunited with them, which I truly applaud you for, but also respect how hard this journey has been for both you and your children, as well as your family, your ex-wife. How do you heal all that? Like, did you expect open arms and how were you received in your recovery and in finding your pathway back to them? Yeah, so so it's been five years since I got out of prison last, and um, and it's been a journey. It, it's been difficult. There's there's been failure, um, meaning, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar, but back around two seven two thousand seventeen or eighteen, I came out to to California to to live with my children, and it. It, it didn't work and it has to do with, you know, jobs and things like that. But um, now it's really just about that bond with my children, you know, building the bond, speaking to them, talking with them um, about, about what I went through. Mm-hmm. You know, for a long time, I didn't share with them because I didn't know if they were ready. They're still young. They're only 13 and 11 years old. And it's like the stuff is profound and deep. Yeah. And, you know, and yet my 13 year old, he reminds me so much of myself. So now I'm really just engaging in conversations. So I think it's healing all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, I think those conversations are allowing them to see that I wasn't just this bad man that you know, made bad decisions, them understanding depression and me sharing with them and talking with them um, is bringing so much healing for all of us. And and same with my ex-wife. And I'm so, 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 I mean, I was angry for a long time with, with certain things with my ex, but I'm so grateful for her and her family. Right. Like, you know, they, that's big. They're so responsible for the children that they, that I have today. And my boys are amazing young men they are compassionate and kind and loving and without her and her family, I, I can't say that that would be the case. Right. You know what, if the, if, if she wasn't a responsible, caring mom who loves her boys to death and she made some choices that were hard in the beginning, like keeping me from them because I was still in the midst of my addiction and I was mad at her and this and that. But now looking back, she was doing it because she protect, she was protecting her babies. Right. And, and so I'm so grateful and, and her and I, as, as parents are healing, you know, we're, we're learning to put the children first, both of us. And, and so it's a beautiful thing to watch. It's, it's been a long journey. It's been a long journey. It's been a lot of, you know, angry times, you know, at one point when I had to leave California before my, my children wouldn't talk to me again because they didn't understand Right. You know, they didn't understand that daddy didn't mess up. He just, he, his, the work situation because of my record and all that is, um, but, but it's, it's a journey. It's, it's really about, I think because I've changed so much, it just, when I go, when I'm with my kids, they can feel that, you know, right. they, they, they can sense that presence of wholeness. And I think that's attractive to them. And I think they trust me. Like yesterday, me and my oldest son, we played six games of, of basketball with a bunch of guys at a park. I mean, it was, it was just so amazing. You know, it it was, it was so beautiful to, to be a part of so simple, but it was, it's a way for us to build a bond again. 
and and my youngest guy he he likes different things and and video games and stuff like that and we do that together and it's just about me being present in their life again that i think that brings the most healing possible yeah i would have to agree and you mentioned uh jobs and work and stuff like that and i know i i follow you on facebook and i know that you've gone through some hard times with that how did you finally accomplish finding a job and what kind of work are you doing now yeah that's (laughs) hard that's 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 been the biggest challenge after leaving prison. So when you here here's the you know not to get too much into the justice issues and and the need for reformation in our justice system but I was a I was a drug addict and obviously suffering from mental health issues and I committed a crime. I was in I was indicted on um $1000 of of pretty much play money. Um, you know, I'm not proud of it, but it, it was a thousand dollars that I was indicted on and I wound up doing 29 months over that. Wow. But it was based off of the reality that I was suffering from huge addiction, addiction issues and mental health. So when you get out of prison, it's basically a, another prison right. because now you're considered second class, right? You, you're a felon. You're, you're labeled. There's a stigma. I had an impeccable resume. I mean, I was, you know, I made six figures year in and year out before I got in trouble. I, I was a top producer for one of the largest uh, mailing companies. Um, I, my, my resume was impeccable. And I couldn't get a job flipping hamburgers at McDonald's. Wow. Literally. Wow. Like, I applied. I couldn't. And... So trying to dig yourself out of that and actually make like a meaningful wage, right? Whew, it yeah. is a battle, and and that's why they call it the second prison system. It's actually got a name, and um, and and they're making some some headway in in that process. But it was difficult because, for example, I was talking about it before in 2017. I. I made a move from New York because I was staying with my parents. It was the only thing I could do when I got out of prison in 2016. Um, but I made a move to San Diego because, like we said, all I wanted to do was be with my boys. Now, I made that move with $2,000 in my pocket, you know, and no, no credit and no job. And, you know, I, I was trusting the universe, trusting God that it would work out. And unfortunately, it didn't. I got to California. I got a job. I got a job selling cars, but in the state of California, they require a sales license. So everybody that applies for that sales license gets a temporary sales license for 90 days. And then they do a a background check and they decide whether or not they're going to allow you to continue to sell cars. Most people do. Um, You know, they're really looking from what I understood for, for violent criminals and pedophile, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I got a job. I'm here. I am finally making money. I'm finally back with my kids. I got an apartment. I got a brand new car. I had just bought brand new furniture. And I walk into work one day and they say, sorry, Jeff, we got to let you go. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm your top producing salesperson. What are you talking about? I've yeah. only been here three months. I'm, I'm selling more cars than anyone here. They're like, no, you know, we love you. We, we don't want you to leave, but they took your sales license. You're not, you're not allowed to work. Wow. And I was, I was heartbroken. I was, I was completely heartbroken and, and, and that was, uh, difficult. It almost set me back. And, and as a matter of fact, I, I made one bad choice 
during that process, but um, it, it set me back, you know, and I had to, I couldn't live off of unemployment in San Diego. You can't live off of $400 a week in San Diego. I've got no other financial help. I don't come from money. I don't, you know, I don't have family. And a lot of people are still looking at my life going, well, you know, we got to make, let's see what's going to happen with this kid. Right. You know, is he, is he going to fall back into the old patterns? And, uh, so I was really on my own. And after about a couple months of trying to get another job, trying to get back into corporate sales, no one willing to hire me because of my record, I had to make the hardest decision of my life and, give kind of retreat and right. and move back to new york because that was the only place because i was going to become homeless i couldn't pay my rent my rent was too much my car payment wound up getting my car repoed i wound up having to leave the furniture just leave it that i had just bought spent two thousand dollars on because i couldn't afford to, sh- to to ship it nowhere to put it and i had to say goodbye to my kids again and that's when they got mad you know and they wouldn't talk to me for, heartbreaking they wouldn't talk to me because they didn't understand you know um but uh, excuse me <clears throat> oh my god no <laughs> i'm crying uh, so so you know and, and, and this isn't you know like a pity me type story these are the facts oh. of the system that we live in you know this yeah. is this this is the reality. Can you imagine being 22 years old and getting arrested and not having any type of, you know, work history and, you know, how hard it must be to rebuild? And then we wonder why recidivism in this country is 75%. Three out of four people that get out of prison go back to prison. Why? Because we make it impossible for them to be successful. Right. I mean, I covered the entire Western United States for a large company. I was responsible for millions and millions of dollars and I couldn't get a job flipping hamburgers. Right. And don't think that and that doesn't just end with the people who get back, sent back to prison, just like your sons. It affects families and, Absolutely. and everything else. And then they get can get sucked right into that as well. So it is a it just goes down the line. Absolutely. And and so I retreated. And thank God my mom and dad have had an open door policy through this pol- through this process the entire time. Um, they don't have a lot of money, but they've always had a couch for me to sleep on or you know, they would help feed me. And, and so that's what I did. I had to retreat and I went back to New York and broken and despair. Um, my car repoed, no car, no job, no money. I got a, you know, I, I, I kind of worked myself through that and I continued to believe in myself still, even though I was heartbroken, even though I made a mistake during that breaking process, I still learned from it. And I got a job selling cars in New York because New York doesn't require a sales license. Right. So you just need someone to hire you. Yeah. And, um, and I got someone to hire me. And I, going back to what we were talking about before, I was still during this whole process working through my own healing, right? Affirmations. I am love. I am light. I am wealthy. I am abundant. I am whole. I am healed. These are the affirmations that I, were, I was saying to myself day in and day out before I even went to San Diego, uh, to San Diego the first time, this was part of that healing process. And so I continued in that and I got a job and, you know, I continued to believe that it was going to work. And within three months I got promoted to a finance manager. 
in the automobile industry. And, you know, I went to six figure income again, actually more than I had ever made in corporate America. I was now making more money than I did before I got into all this debacle and it, it was beautiful. And I was able to save up some money and, uh, you know, I've been in the automobile industry as a manager for a couple of years now. And like you said, I just moved to San Diego the right way this time. I had money in the bank, uh, right. new, new car. Um, I got a condo that um, I have. I live four miles from my children. Um, I've got a ton of uh, job opportunities. And actually, my record is now over eight years. So I was convicted in uh, 2012. So actually it's fallen off of my report. So like jobs don't, can't really pull it anymore. So that, that's really beneficial and um, things are going really well. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, You just, I had to keep fighting, you know, and you know, I'm an athlete and I think that was just built within me, Um, you know, and, and, and I've been clean off of, you know, drugs and all that stuff for, for years now. Um, and, and it's, it's so worth it. I run 20 miles a week. I, you know, it's, it's, um, working out. It's, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. I bet you were still hurting after that basketball game with your son though. (laughs) I I am. I I couldn't even eat last night. (laughs) Sore from the young ones. Yes. 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 For fathers who have been down a similar road and feel like giving up because it is a really high mountain to climb, what is your advice to them? Never quit. Never quit. You know, um, I know that sounds easy, but it's, it's really difficult. And, and when I say never quit, it's, you know, the drugs can't be the answer because we know where they lead. Mm -hmm. We know where they lead. Um, it's never going to be the answer. Um, you know, I have personal opinions on plant medicines and working through PTSD and using it medicinally for a season to, to help with your cannabinoids. And, I, you know, there's a lot of research that needs to be done in that realm. I think we have to evolve in how we treat addiction and how we treated depression and all that. But and, and that's each modality is different for each individual. Um, right. You know, each each, you know, what works for me necessarily might not work for everybody, but we have to be at least willing to. Uh, talk about different healing modalities mm-hmm. and, and the science and the research has to be done and it's being done uh, with plant medicines and things like that. So I think there's a huge, huge um, eye opener in that area to help through this process. Um, but, but ultimately my dad taught me, uh, he said this to me and he's been clean off of heroin for, so long story short, my dad, became a hair crack cocaine addict and a heroin addict when we were in high school. So, you know, when I was 16 years old and he went through that battle for 15, 20 years and then he got clean and he went back to college and he became a drug and alcohol counselor. He just retired after 12 years of service in the VA hospital for drug and alcohol counseling. That's incredible. Yeah. It's, he, he was an inspiration to say, to show me that it was possible, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, but but what he said to me when I got out of prison was take the local, not the express. Yeah. And, and meaning like you have to realize you've got 40, 50 years of life left. It's not over tomorrow. And, and you have to build upon that, not about instant gratification as an addict, we're instant gratification people, yeah. you know, and, and I had to learn that 
it's a process. It's a journey, you know, one step at a time up that mountain and um, resilience, persistence and belief in something, you know, within yourself, you've got to believe in yourself and, and you've got to, you've got to research, you've got to study, you've got to learn how to heal yourself. You've got to learn how to, uh, what works for you, what doesn't, you know, it's kind of like politics. You got to maybe not look at the mainstream media, but search other alternatives. If the mainstream media isn't working for you or the mainstream dialogue isn't working for you, maybe there's another way to heal. And for me, it's been, you know, pretty much going vegetarian, vegan. Um, it's been learning about how, what types of water I put in my body because as an IV drug user, I did a lot of damage. I mean, my heart stopped twice. They had to like literally restart my heart twice. I almost died twice. Uh, the last time was on my son's birthday in 2015. On March 31st, 2015, um, I had a heart, basically arrhythmia that my heart rate went up to like 200 and something beats. And I almost died. They had, my, they had to stop my heart and restart it. Um, my God. Yeah. So, you know, I did a lot of damage to my body. And so I've had to learn how to heal myself. No one's coming to save you. You know, that's right. what I would say to them. No one's coming to save you. Like you've got to find that power within that God that you believe in within you. Um, and, and, and put the work in. It's not easy. It's not, you've got to go to, you know, like as an athlete, you have to go to two weeks, two a days in the summer to train for the season. Right. It's just, there's no escaping that. And I yeah. think as an addict, a lot of us try to escape that. Yeah. You have to do the work. To... You have to, you have to, and you have to yeah. deal with the demons because yeah. it's all about you. You can blame, we can blame everyone around us. We can blame the bad parenting or we can blame like I was sexually abused as a child by a strange man that, you know, messed with me when I got older. Uh, you, you can blame, you know, this person and that person, but at the end of the day, it's on you. Right. You know, those are factors, but accountability and responsibility that you are not a victim, you know, it, it's, it's tough because you have to look at yourself and see, you know, basically deal with the demons within. And that takes yeah. a lot of strength. Yeah. And I think it's like when you do have certain things like that happen to you, it's very easy. And you and and people would understand why you're angry or upset or pointing the finger or blaming. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But, working on yourself and figuring out how to release that and putting the work into yourself, I think is where you, where you found yourself coming out the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Jeff, if people want to follow you, your mission, your inspiration, where can they find you? Well, I'm just kind of in the beginning. So like I said earlier, this is my first podcast. This is my dream. This is what invigorates me. This is what makes me um, feel alive is to, share my story to inspire people. Um, I'm working on a book, as you know, I really need to finish it. I might take the, take part of this and use some of it. Um, it. It's, but for now, it's really just on Facebook. I am starting a podcast here in the very, very near future um, as well to talk about recovery, to talk about spiritual things and things like that. But right now, just uh, Facebook, um, you know, it's Jeff Walsh. Um, it, you know, send me a, 
you know, an instant message and just say, Hey, you know, I heard this. If anyone ever wants to talk or, you know, needs to talk about a loved one, or if that person that's suffering through addiction or, you know, anything like that wants to talk, um, that's going to, I think that's the route I'm going. Um, right. I'm looking at getting maybe some, de- some sort of degree in, in counseling, um, life coach kind of thing. Right. It's, it's part of the dream. It's, uh, it's just a matter of timing. Um, you know, I've been working so much on healing my own life that, that the creation of what's to come is, is about to, to manifest. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jeff Walsh, Facebook. I think you'd be very, very good at it. I think a lot of people need to hear what you have to say. I think you've been through a lot in life. And I think a lot of people can really grow from from the things that you've been through, which is unfortunate that you have. But I really do think that there is a calling within you and it is to help inspire people and to help them find find themselves again. So yeah, I appreciate that. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today. Guys, Jeff is someone who never gave up. He is someone who still reaches for the stars after being broken down so many times that he didn't even see his way out ever. He is an inspiration, a father who lovingly found his way back to his children. And he is here to encourage and inspire hope in those who need it most. So check him out on Facebook. It's Jeff Walsh, W-A-L-S-H. And thanks again, Jeff, so much for, for joining us today. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And, and just thank you to everyone that's been a part of, of this process in my life. You know, it's, uh, there's so many people that play a silent role. You know, some of the things that you've written about your past, you know, so many people that write and share their stories that are vulnerable with their stories have inspired me as well. And hopefully we can continue to inspire each other, you know, and, and others during this time of, of kind of chaos in our life. Um, there's some of us that have a lot to share to bring hope in life. You know what I mean? So uh, thank you so much. And what you're doing, your work, I've been following you, is, is beautiful. Uh, your creative ability is, is amazing. And keep doing great work. Thank you so much, Jeff. That means a lot. All right. We'll be talking to you and we'll be seeing you and hearing from you soon. Thanks, Jeff. All right, Aaron. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.